Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am joined with Jason Sabala from the Buzzmill Coffee and Bar on Riverside, we probably all know, as well as Squatch Fitness over on Tillery Street. And so, Jason, thank you so much for being here. Tell us, tell us what's going on in your world. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, what we're working on right now is, obviously, Buzzmill is still doing a lot of its programs which you're included in Lumber Society, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, we have a lot of log-out programs that we're working on with rucking, a lot of rucking going on outside of uh, Buzzmill and Squatch. Squatch is about to launch a 5,000-square-foot extra. It's called the Coliseum. It's a new section of the gym. Whoa. In addition to our recovery center, which is our indoor saunas, our cold plunges, and the podcast studio. So there you go. A lot of stuff going on over there. That's exciting. What inspired you to start a fitness center like that? Well, I would think probably during COVID I had gotten uh, gotten a little heavy, right? And so blew up to about 3.30. And I started training on it there here in town. And so uh, my trainer got let go after about a year. And so I knew that I wanted to have him still come to the house and train. And so his name was Aaron and Aaron would, uh, I'd had the managers come over and he would train us. I had, I had bought everything on it had. So like maces, clubs, rowers, ski. I, I mean, we had everything and he would give us once a week, we would do it. Then it grew to two times a week to three times a week. I was going every day, but the guys were coming over and, uh, the wife just got tired of showers, people taking showers, using the towels, just a pain, the pain in her ass. And so, what ended up, she's like, you need to get out of the house. I'm so tired of this. And so I was like, I'm going to go open a gym. And so that's what caused us to go open Squatch. But I will say getting into fitness had a lot to do with, I just wasn't happy with where, when I looked in the mirror, how I felt in the morning, I just wasn't feel like, I just didn't feel good. Sure. And so it was something that coupled with uh, speaking with my mentor at the time where I was like, listen, I've been in the bar industry since I was 18 working on 6th Street. Like, I have spent 20-some years pouring alcohol down people's throats, living off of their vices. Like, you look around my house, everything in my home is built on someone's vice. And so being able to flip the switch and talk to my mentor, I said, I don't see how I'm helping the community by s selling beer. And he's like, well, stop selling beer. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to do. It's 85% of my revenue. So how are we supposed to keep fuel in the jet to do what we want to do? If And so uh, two things came out of it. He had me read Conscious Capitalism with uh, John Mackey. Whole Foods. Oh, yeah. I love that book. And it really resonated with me in the sense of being able to take care of your people, take care of your customer, take care of your environment, and which we break down very simply as take care of our counselors. That's the people who work at Buzzmill. Uh, we take care of our campers, the people who come into Buzzmo across our across our walls, and then the neighborhoods, which is that one mile radius and Mother Earth around us. Mm -hmm. And so, if we can't find a solution that helps, it's a win 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 for all three of those. Then we have to uh, we're not being creative enough. And so I think the fitness area came in there where I just was feeling like, great, I'm helping this part of the aspect, but I I want to give back somewhere, take the money I am making from from this and turn it into something more where, and, and now I've really, I've really moved to that. I've really fallen on that side of the, 
I much more enjoy my time there than when someone walks up and says, oh, you have amazing margaritas. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's more about that feeling when someone comes to one of the community workouts or they've done an ice sponge for the first time and they genuinely almost have tears in their eyes where it's like, this is, this is something very special for me. And so the times I've heard this, this gym changed my life is like, you know, cause we were open during COVID. Like when we were through COVID, we didn't stop. We never closed buzz mill and, and the gym, neither one of those closed. And we took some flack for some of that. I mean, whether it be a staff that left us, whether it be people in the community, but at the end of the day, we just kept pushing. And so what was happening is people from New York, people from LA were moving here and saying, we moved here to go to your gym because ours is closed. We can't go to it. And so, wow, we kept, and so I get that a lot. People are like, how did you make this gym? So it's like, Listen, we just didn't give a fuck. Like, if you <laughs> walk up during that time and said, this person's not wearing a mask in here, it's like, we were just like, this isn't the gym for you. Sure. This guy's got his shoes and shirts. It's like, this isn't, this just isn't the space. Like, this, there's 182 other gyms in Austin. Like, this just isn't the one. And so that ball that we had started there, that beacon that we had put out, had just drew people who were just like, I'm not going to sit on the couch and let this dictate my life and the things that I'm going to, I'm going to take this myself by the hand and say, I want to make myself feel better and be outside and do these things, you know? And so, like I said, wasn't the most popular <laughs> with some people, but at the end of the day, after those people went back to New York or LA, wherever they were from, the light and the beacon was so bright. We still were attracting people who were just like, I want to be better than yesterday. I'm not going to live in the victim state of mind where the martyrdom of like, Oh, woe is me. It's like, they want to get out there and they want to take advantage of, how they can control, you know, the stoicism aspect of you only control how you react to something, right? You can't control what's going on in the world, but you can control how you react to it. And so that was such a huge part is watching the stoicism rise up inside of the gym. And like, it's, it's just been probably the thing I'm most proud of, you know, you walk in today, there's four flags across the ceiling. There was like wisdom, temperance, you know, justice, courage, you know, like the four virtues of stoicism and like, that's what we base our, in the middle of that flag, it says be one, which is like Marcus Aurelius talks about all these talking heads on the internet, all these people saying what, is, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, but it's really simple. Just be a good person. Let's just be, just be one. Like yeah. The way to be a good person is just, just be one. And so that's a, that's like kind of our tagline we have on that. So, but that was the roundabout way of how we got into a uh, new fitness. I would say is a mentor basically, pushed me into reading some books that I saw that there's a better way. I don't have to demonize the fact that I'm selling beer or that people are having a beer or a cigarette. But man, we're going to do two things. If you're going to come to the buzz and drink a beer and smoke a cigarette, you're going to, one, learn how to survive the zombie apocalypse or a plane crash through Lumber Society. Or we're going to talk you into logging out, getting off your phone, getting off your computer, and getting outside, whether it be from a, a ruck around the neighborhood or coming over to the gym to be part of something we're doing over there. And yeah. in addition to cleaning, like, you know, getting outside, logging out is like Buzz Mills thing. We just want to get people outside, you know. I went to a conference and they said 70% of people in the United States have not spent the night under the stars. That's and true. That is mind-boggling if you think about that. Like, think about that. Like, 7 out of 10 people have never, not camping in your backyard. I'm talking about being out. Like right. That's, that's just wild. And so... How do we fix that? Well, I think it's because of the way compact, dense urban sprawl is, 
right? Because you've got such a fast-paced digital world, you know, no one's like, oh, yeah, let's make some time to go camp under the stars. I think there's a lot of work involved with, like, taking care of cats and potentially kids (laughs) and time off work. And so those barriers that people, I I would say, mentally put up for themselves, you know, how, how do we get them to break through, which is, I think, starting local, you know, perhaps with discipline at a gym, because Squatch isn't just doing, you know, workouts. I mean, I've personally have taught fire making classes at Squatch, you know, and so they're not just an opportunity to get out and work out. It's much more than that. And what did anybody tell you that it was a terrible idea to start a gym during COVID? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) How many people? I mean... (laughs) As many, Sorry. Yeah, a, a lot. A <laughs> lot, yeah. You know, so it was uh, definitely, you just have to, you have to, once you have an idea with that purpose and that why, you want to connect people, like-minded people through fitness and, and to make them better than yesterday. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. People can all the time, you know, I, I talk about the, the celery test or the veggie test where you and I want to open up a gym. So we go to this dinner. And we walk in the front door, and there's, there's people at the gym that are people at this lunch that are other gym owners. There are some that are more more uh, successful than us. There's ones that are just as successful as us. But you start walking around the room, and people are like, oh, when my gym started, we used Coca-Cola, and it changed the world for everything. And so we're like, ah, oh, Coca-Cola, I'll remember that. And then you walk down to the next area. You're sitting at the table. The next person you're sitting there with says, oh, well, for our gym – we brought celery in. Celery was the thing that made the difference. And so we're like, all right, put that on the list, celery. And then you go, you know, you're walking out towards the end of the night in the lunch, and the last person's like, well, everything changed for our gym when we bought Oreos. We brought Oreos to the table. And so you run to the store, you buy Coke, you buy Oreos, you buy celery. And if you don't know what your why and your purpose is, if our purpose we know of our gym is to eat eat healthy, well, let's just say that's our, our, our thing is to eat healthy, we know what shouldn't be on this conveyor belt. Sure. We, we know we don't need Coca-Cola or Oreos. We yeah. And so if you do not have a clear vision in your business, in your brand, in your life, so many people tell you, like, Buzzmill needs more TVs to show sports. It's like you have no idea what we're doing, if, you, if that's what you think, you know. Well, a Squatch should have – it's like it doesn't if, – if you don't understand what we're trying to do and if you don't have a clear why, there's going to be people going to be 10,000 things that you should – you should do. And I think that that's, that's the frustrating part when you get these people coming. It's like, yeah. I'm not trying to be a smart ass. I don't know everything. I'm a lifelong learner, but I know my vision. I see, I see what's going on and that's what I want to get to, you know? Yeah. We get that same thing at Natureversity, you know, parents and families, and oh, they, you know, just, Oh, are you this and that? And I mean, my vision is I just want kids to do dangerous things safely. Right. Mm-hmm. That old quote. And I think carving with knives and building fires and forts and going and exploring into uncharted areas of the wilderness and doing all that stuff. It's like the kids need that. You know, they need to be uh, shown that, hey, you, you have limits and you can exceed those limits through discipline and work. And if you're only climbing to five feet in a tree, like you can eventually climb to 10 because you understand three points of contact and structural design of like trunks of trees versus branches versus small limbs and all that, right? I think people need that stuff more than ever. And so when 
we get families who are a little concerned about it. I always, I mean, I hate saying that, you know, that's like my thing. I don't ever want to say is like, well, maybe we're not the school for you, <laughs> but like in the big picture, it is true, you know, cause we're trying to do something that's a little different. I wanted to do something different from the public educational system and other, what other schools were offering. So my hat goes off to you for being, you know, <laughs> brazen enough to be like, Hey, uh, this is what kind of gym we are. And this is uh, why we w- we're doing what we do. Cause it sounds like people who are running away from other places to come to here, you're doing something right. Um, and I wonder now, now I'm thinking, and since I asked you that question about, and if you got any ridicule from wanting to do it, I wonder if there's a bunch of gyms that did that around the country. In, but we didn't, I don't think we had strategic lockdowns like LA and New York. Did we? No, but you gotta remember too, that where we were tucked at, in the city, we were back in the woods, right? Our location is back in the woods. Oh, so, yeah, it is. So there but it's was cool. More than likely, <laughs> more than likely, which I didn't really pay much attention to, there was something that came down from the health department that said, no, you can't be open during this time. We didn't, like, come find us. Come find us and tell us we can't do that. And so... It's true. So there is probably a, a places that had some type of mentality, but they were in the middle of a plaza on Main Street, and they could not, like, yeah. get away with it. I didn't we think about to, that. We were able to get away was. with it because we're back in the woods, and we kept to ourselves. We literally didn't offer the coffee shop aspect of it. We didn't We didn't do anything because we didn't want anybody coming back there that was going to be like, whoa, what are you doing back here? We, we kept to ourselves. We didn't broadcast through social media, like, oh, look over here. It's like we just kept to ourselves, and it worked. Yeah. You know? Now, I will say when you talk about that, we both love the book Comfort Crisis. Yeah. Easter. When you talk about the, getting out of the digital world and local and doing those things, I will say every ruck that we take people out on from Squatch and Buzzmill, we start at Buzzmill, get them a coffee, and we take them out either Hill of Life, River Place Canyon. I always end with saying the Michael Easter's the five, the, the 25 and three, right? Where there's no reason, there's no excuse that you can't take 20, every day people need to take 20 minutes and get outside. It doesn't matter if it's just walking in your neighborhood, like you get in your backyard, 20 minutes a day, you need to be outside. Five hours a month, you need to be on the green belt, you need to be on the hike and bike trail, you need to be out somewhere doing something like that, five hours a month. And then there's three days a year where you just get lost. And I think that the studies, if you, in the book you see where he talks about ADHD, anxiety, 25 and 3 I I tell I implore people at the rocks where say get your friends get them to just get them to, hey let's go for a walk I've tried to set myself up now if people want to have meetings with me we ruck we we, yeah. put, we put on a backpack a little bit of weight on it it's so leveling because if you and I go and, I, and you're like I'm I'm really I don't just want to walk I'm like great carry 100 pounds you know uh, I do it with my wife where it's like she'll carry 10 I'll carry 50, you know, so it's very leveling where you can take groups of people at all different levels of fitness and get them outside because the guys who are the tough guys, you just strap a bunch more weight on them. <laughs> and the people who are like, I don't know, I'm kind of coming back from it. It's like, can you carry five pounds? Can you carry, can you, you know, so it's great for when you want to have a meeting with someone where it's like, I see people take phone calls on this stuff. I, I, I just think that that just that little bit of day really helps the clarity of the mind. Like for me, I'm a little more obsessive with it. I walk my dogs while I rock. I do the uh, meeting ruck meetings and I have these dedicated three to four hour rucks where I take people out in the woods. I just, it's just something not only as far as fitness wise, as far as mental wise, 
as far as health. It's it's just almost as many calories as jogging. You're, if you have a knee issue running, you know this. Like, you're like, I don't like to run. Yeah. I just do not like to run. The amount of force that's on the knee through a rucking is is one-tenth of what it is when you compared to when you run. And so as I lost weight from going from 330 to 320, I just kept putting that weight in the backpack. Mm. So, like, if I start off with 20 pounds in the backpack, when I went down to 320, I put another 10 pounds in the, you know, and just and it grew, you know. So now I carry around almost 80 pounds when I'm rucking my dogs at night. Jeez. Like, and that is the weight that came off of my body during that time. So Wow. So. Now that's incredible. What, like, so before Squatch, there was Buzzmill. How did you get to Buzzmill? I'm just so curious because I know you've been an entrepreneur for quite some time. And has that always been something that, like, for instance, my family, a bunch of entrepreneurs in my family. So me being one, it wasn't a shock. But right. did you come from entrepreneurs or did you always have this inkling that you just didn't value, you know, the work you know, working for other people and you really wanted to be kind of steering the ship. Like, I think, I think that's probably a lot of it is like, I've had a lot of jobs. Right? Yeah. And so I don't like, I don't really like not being the boss. It yeah. Was, uh, I will say my, my mother and, uh, and stepfather had a water garden business at one point when, in my early, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, like early years, preteen. And what I would do is I'd go down to the river and I would get river rock. In a wheelbarrow, and I would bring it up. And so these people were buying water plants and certain things from, uh, and so I kind of had a little side hustle where I had rock that you could buy to put around the sides of your, so your rivers, around, around your pool, that your little pond that you put at your house. Whoa! And so <laughs> I would just bring the rock up from the river, and then be like, "Hey, you want you want some rocks too?" And so they let me get away with it, and so I sold rock to people, and so I enjoyed that. Uh, fast forward years, going through multiple jobs figuring stuff out. Um, I started on 6th Street at the Black Cat when I was 18. I started doing security. They put me at the back door. Thought I was a tough guy. Just sit back there and, you know, it was not very not very glamorous. Uh, a friend of mine, Craig Merritt from Waco, we've known each other for since we were teenagers, introduced me to Emos, which was the best venue. CBGB of the South. Like, it was, it's where half of old Austin grew up I mean easily and so I was able to get a job secured I, I broke up a fight they asked me if I wanted to, broke up a fight one night they asked me if I wanted a job I took the job and I worked my way from being a security guy to a bar back to a bartender to a manager and then at one point emo Eric asked me if I wanted I, I started saving my money during South by Southwest I started I'd make a bunch of money like back then Make ten grand in a week. I mean, like we made a lot of money. Wow, bartending. You know, that's you're, amazing. You're also losing a year or two of your life because you're you're having a day party from noon to six where you're just crushing it, and then you have about an hour to eat and just get ready for the night, and then you just and then it's all fueled by drugs. It's all fueled by you know. It's like you're just trying to push yourself through this week. You know. Yeah. And so I saved my money, and I, I would I would buy different people out. Like he, but email would be like this guy has this many shares, and so take that person out. So I just saved my money. I kept buying to the point where it was just basically him and I were the last ones left. He's like, do you want this thing? And I was like, yes, I do. Wow. So You bought Emos. I, he, he gave me the ability to buy Emos, and then I was about 90, 98. And then uh, I proceeded immediately to 
get a drug habit. <laughs> and so no. uh, I ran a little bit of money issues. I went to the, a gentleman that was a fr- family of the friend, friend of the family that I was the richest guy I knew. I was like, I need some money. Help me pull out of some of that stuff. Unfortunately, actually fortunately for me, he came by one night in the middle of the night when I was partying with the guys up there and he was just like, what are you doing here at six in the morning? If I, you know, and so I basically had to step down from doing that, uh, went into a hole for a few months and then actually just sold everything and moved to Portland, Oregon for a couple of years to re, re, to rise as the Phoenix again, you know, down the road. Sure. Um, but that was, that was my business. And so you always find your time, your, your, yourself in these times where you see other people around you maybe are worse off than you, where it's just like, yeah. oh, I'm not as bad as that guy. Right. That guy's crawling on the floor looking for drugs. Like, I'm not that bad. Right. You know, when your drug dealer is like your buddy you play basketball with, it's like, it, you never, it, it just, until you turn around, all of a sudden it's like, whoa. You know, and so that is a big part of figuring out how to make that shift in your life is being able to recognize that, admit that. And so, it took me leaving Austin for a few years, you know, and so I moved out to Portland, uh, started working there, was able to uh, arrange a situation where I was able to purchase a club out there, and so purchase a club, turn it into Emos, Pete, Emos Portland, you know, and so when I wanted to come back, the, the people at Emos, the, the gentleman I had, I had uh, that kind of forced me out from my drug habit, saw how I had changed and brought me back in. So I immediately was able to come back to town, buy back in, get my shares. And then from that, it, it just, it just spiraled. Like once you're successful at this business and you're doing this, like things happen. So now I see a, a empty lot across the street from em- when we move emos over our Riverside. I watch bands come in every night, going and buying 20 Starbucks coffees for the crew. And I was like, look around. We need a coffee shop. Like we, I don't, ah. I, don't know anything, I don't know anything about coffee, but I can tell you, there's no coffee from I-35 to set to Ben White, and none from the water to Old Torf. I go, there's not one coffee shop here. There's one up. There's a Starbucks on Old Torf and 35. So first, I was like, I went to my buddy Travis, who roasted. Uh, he does Barrett's roasting in town, and so he was at uh, at the time. He was roasting coffee, and I was like, dude, what do I do? And so he helped me. We, we became partners, and we started, you know, down the road. He wanted to do something different, so we ended up splitting our ways, but he got me back. He got me into the coffee. But at the end of the day, it was the beer and the things that kind of led, led – that's where made the most money. I don't see how people make money just on a strictly on a coffee shop. It's very, it's a very weird <laughs> because once you do a compostable cup with a compostable lid with your, your branded stick, like it's just price – yeah, per so cup, sure. The funny what thing, year was that when you opened Buzz? 2011. 2011, wow. 2011. So 22, no, uh, 12 years. No, no, I'm sorry. We opened Emos on the Riverside at 2011. 2013 is when we opened up Buzz Mill. So 10-year anniversary. Yeah, we, we just we just had the 10-year anniversary in January. All right, so dude. <laughs> this is where, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this is where Lumber Society has a little bit of a, in the beginning of when, when we opened a Buzz Mill. And so... When I got into Buzzmill, I I had moved one of my liquor license from across the street. I was we had extra license on the on the shelf, and I moved it over. And so we opened Buzzmill. And about three months later, my lawyer, liquor lawyer, says, "Hey, I was wrong. We can't just we can't just move this license across the street yet. Oh. You have to apply for a license." <laughs> I'm <on that."> sure. <laughs> so, That's funny. So I'm like, 
well, what are we going to do? He's like, you're going to have to close. I'm like, I'm not closing for two months to, till we figure out how to get a license. He's like, well, you could give it away. I was like, that's what I'll do. I'll give it away. He's like, all right. So went to a friend of mine in the industry who worked for a liquor, liquor company. He actually owned part of it. He gave me well vodka, well gin, well whiskey, well tequila. Like, and so now I'm looking on the shelf and I see five bottles. I'm like, you know, like just really basic. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like, and so that's where infusions were born. I took vodka and I added, the first thing I did is I took whiskey and I added the apples and cinnamon. I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of woodsy. Okay. What else we got? Like walnut whiskey. Like it just kept. Yeah. Doing. Pecan and so all it, dude, that shelf is my favorite thing when so I walked in that, there. That's where that came from. It's like not having, not having, uh, I, I had to take vodka and make five vodkas and I had to take whiskeys and make 10 whiskeys, you know, espresso whiskey. Like, and so now you look on the counter and the shelves and there's, 20 jars and so that's where it starts right and the next thing you know we're giving away and they are coming the freegans i call them the freegans the freegans <laughs> have come in and they're the destroying freegans. us they're destroying us and so i'm like fine we're only gonna do this two hours a day we're only gonna do booze for two hours a day for free and the rest of the time you buy coffee and you buy food well i had to keep changing the times and so <laughs> i had to keep trying to tr- trick trick them so that because I wanted the neighborhood, I really just wanted the people in the area to come down and experience it, not the right. guy who lives over in Hyde Park to <laughs> fly over. You know, it's like I, it's, free booze. And so I had to, I had this idea where I basically created. This is when Lumber Society was early on. Lumber Society was what we knew we were trying to do these things. We're teaching people adults adult skills, right? And I was like, how do I get people? People are like, well, how do I know when the when the booze is free? It's like. You got to sign up here. And I had this little thing with a lumberjack with a bird in his ear. And I was like, sign up for Lumber Society. And so you'd sign up for Lumber Society. And you would get a text that said, hey, today, booze is free from 3 to 5. Or, and so ah. I will tell you this. We had 3,000 people in that Lumber Society in the beginning, right? We had to purge the entire – when Mark came – I would say about five years ago, we purged the entire – system of who we had wow they were just freegans they were just people who either didn't live here anymore or just wanted free boost didn't care about learning how to make fire and so sure we had to purge all that and so that that's kind of where lumber society was got got its first ignition fire from the fact that that's how you found out if we had free booze and so wow (laughs) origin stories Mm y'all for those listening uh lumber society is kind of like a tethered organization to buzz mill and we what do we always sell it as we say it's boy scouts and girl scouts with beer so if you never got the chance to do uh not necessarily beer it's whatever you beverage you prefer yeah but if you never got a chance to do outdoor skills and do camping trips and canoes and all that stuff we do that at lumber society and that's the whole point. That's why Jason's on here. And I've actually been helping run the organization since 2018, I believe. So five At years least, now. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been an absolute blast for me because I really enjoy working with adults. And I really enjoy teaching people how to rub sticks together to make fires and make bows and arrows. And I mean, we've done basket. We just did a basketry class. We have one tonight. Yeah. We're doing hazards. We're doing all, all about... Yeah, outdoor stuff. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, Natureversity is a cool kids' school. We do do adult programs. It's just in the form of the Lumber Society. So yeah, I always I love telling people that when when you finally came on, we had the structure. Before it was just like, you know, there, people were teaching all different types of things. But we were able to get you to finally come in and be that, like the, the, 
thread that we, we weave through that. I tell people, I went to you and I said, how do we survive for three days? The zombie apocalypse or the plane crash? How do we survive for three days? You're like, well, <laughs> you, what, what do you got to know? You're like, make fire, shelter, water. I'm like, cool. So then we go for the first 12 months and we teach all those things, all the things you need to know. We get to the, now we get through 12 months and people are like, what's next? I'm like, Shit, Chris, what like what Chris, we, we survived for three days. How do we survive for three months? And you're right. like, all right, you gotta pickle your food, you gotta beekeep, you know, like so and then it's like third year comes along, it's like, okay, uh, let's just teach them knowledge on how to uh, identify tracks and like so it's just it's just ever evolving, you know. Because yeah. I do get people say, Why don't we teach them stuff like how to change a tire? It's like that's not I I mean it's it's a valuable knowledge to know. And maybe there's a different thing. And like, we've always talked about maybe buzz milk could grow into something. You remember how there's shop class back mm-hmm. in the day from oh, yeah. a little older, there's shop class. Yeah. And we had home, that. And there's home ec, right? So I'm just saying like shop class, like teach them all those things. Home ec, I think that there's things that we could teach, you know, that could be just as valuable for people, but they're just on they're you know what I'm saying? They're just a different slant to the, those things. And so, but I'm, yeah, it's still cool to know all, all of that stuff. But I think the thing that I like about Lumber Society the most is it's people who are coming to the bar, like they're just kind of casually looking over at what we're doing and suddenly they're like really intrigued because we've done some goofy things like nature trivia and, you know, normal bars and places they'll do trivia, but it's always like pop culture stuff. And we just did it straight up survival wisdom, uh, plants, tracks, you know, weird nature factoids about mammals and birds and everybody went nuts. I mean, we were... You start getting people patches... Yeah, oh, the patches. patches. That's, that all the patches changed the whole have. game. Being able to put people in troops where, you know, early on in Lumber Society, we would do these things that I, was, I had to throw people into four different troops, whether you're an owl, a mallard, a beaver, a raccoon. Like, and I, I made up the quiz. I made up the quiz. Like, let me just make up some questions, and I'll dictate where that person, like, will have it fall to where they, they go into what troop they go into. Then I came up with the handshakes. I gave this, this stupid little handshakes they have. And uh, I remember a friend of mine was walking around the mall, and he's like, he goes, dude, I just saw two people with, they had the little scarf on with the, I said, ask them. I go, what, what, what are they wearing? He goes, they're ducks. I go, stop them. Ask them what their motto is. He goes, no way. I go, ask them. Mm-hmm. And so he runs down. He goes, guys, motto. And they're like, seize the day. I was like, dude, that's, that, that's when, when I saw the first person get a tattoo of, like their troop. That's when I was like, now we're, now we're cooking. Wow. Now we're cooking. I didn't so know that. People are so excited about those patches. They're so excited. Like early on when we'd have those, the reason people were setting troops is because if you, we, for buddies that show up to the event, right? I want you to meet with our other people. So maybe you're a raccoon and I'm an owl. We would make the owls sit with the owls and make the raccoons sit with the raccoons. And so right. we would do something where, all right guys, who's the strongest owl and who's the strong, and we make them arm wrestle. And then, all right, for the next 30 minutes, the Owls won the arm wrestling match. You get dollar beers. Or like, we, we do things like, like feats of strength. Right. Things. And so people love being thrown into the troops. I sit in Buzzmo and I'm we're officing out of it and watch people look at that patch wall, watch them take the quiz, and just they are just blown away Yeah. those things. And so it's so neat to watch someone be like, dude, look at this, you know? And so uh, you've, and having you as that mind that, you're just such a great teacher. It's like just getting people to very easy to understand, not to not cocky about it, and patient. Like I've, I haven't seen anyone that has, especially when people are in a bar situation. You know, like it's 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 <laughs> hecklers. I, I, yeah, <laughs> for sure. 
It's funny to me. I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, I think the goal is to, I, I have a really good friend. Hopefully he's listening to this right now. His name is Matt Corradino. He lives in the Virgin Islands, but he was my teacher when I was going through a lot of stuff in um, New Jersey. When I say stuff, I mean like learning survival skills, not like life stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was learning a lot of survival skills and I just loved the way he captivated the audience with these goofy side anecdotal stories that pertain to what they were talking about. And I loved the way he would, you know, insert old, you know, benign jokes into, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of like dad jokes. And, um, you know, that's what she said jokes. Cause obviously some of the things we're saying are, you know, like, all right, anyway, mm-hmm. but it's fun to get up there and just create a topic for people that may not be that interesting. Cause personally, like I think the very first thing I ever did with lumber society was not tying. And to me, like that is the most boring skill in the world. So I thought about it and I was like, how could you make this entertaining? How could you come up? And so I thought, you know, we'll just do a bunch of not puns and kind of almost like a stand up bit, you know, it was like doing comedy. And now it's evolved into these slideshow presentations that also have hands on, uh, portions to them, but I don't think we've had any people, uh, tell me in, I don't know how many years that they didn't like the class and that they really enjoyed the way it was presented and the way I built on it. I think my favorite comment from one of our students was she was a EMT nurse and a a paramedic. And when she did our wilderness first aid, you know, kind of pseudo presentation, she's like, man, there was things that I learned and that I definitely had to rethink because, you know, some of the things you said about backwoods medicine and the time constraints to resources and how long you're going to be with the patient and all that. She's like, I never really thought about all that. And so it definitely gets even the most professional professionals um, intrigued and thought provoking concepts. And I always allow for a Q&A inside Lumber Society to ask questions. And if it's something I don't know, I'm quick to say, I'm not sure, but let's all research that together. And that's what I feel is it's an open, honest dialogue for everybody there to just share. And even people who didn't buy tickets or anything, you know, they're, they're still on the back edge and they tell me afterwards, like, what is this? Like, I just sat and listened to this whole two hour presentation about snakes. And I don't know what I was doing here, but for some reason, this was really cool and I want to be involved. So yeah, it, it, to me, I'm just really happy that it's grown so much and that so many people are taking the leap of faith into the unknown, which is the wilderness. Cause it's kind of like uh, an, an astronaut, if you will, we can't go out to space without this little bio suit to protect us. And I think a lot of people have that perception about the woods because oh, snakes and chiggers and mosquitoes and poison ivy and all that stuff. And so they need this giant tether that goes, which is their backpack. And you really don't need all that. You know, you can go out there and make life pretty simple by knowing plants and tools and rocks and different things. And I think it's much more of an enjoyable experience. We don't have to carry as much because right. over you're, you're over here talking about 80 pounds on your back. I'm like, hell no, man, I would never, but I get the concept. I see where you're coming from. But in my perspective, the number one rule of survival is conservation of energy. Yeah. You know, so if I'm out there doing laborious work, I'm like, oh no, I'm going to die soon. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be able to replenish this, uh, you know, right. food that I just well, let's expelled. <laughs> let's carry 80 in town. So sure. So sure. It's really simple to carry 25, <laughs> 30 out of town, you know, so. I would recommend people learn how to do light and fast backpacking, you know, through various areas like 20 pounds on your pack and just be able to camp for three or four days because it can be done. You know, Knowles has a bunch of good courses in outdoor, National Outdoor Leadership School. But um, man, uh, I have some other things I wanted to ask you about. And now my uh, computer's acting up here. But anyway, let's where did you grow up? I'm curious about that. Did you grow up like with uh, 
an interest in nature at all? Like, or was nature kind of, did that come along for you later on? Because I wanted to ask you kind of about a couple of experiences you had, one being the um, Island Royale and then the Mount Olympus. And when did nature like really just explode in your life as a part of like, I'm going to be outside every day? Was it, was it after reading that book or? I think definitely, uh, my dad left when I was probably, I think around six, but before that we had done a lot of camping. Mm. So really was used to uh, camping, being outside. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so I was actually born in North Carolina at a Marine Corps base, well, Naval base, but it, it, well, I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, my mom, when she remarried, we lived in uh, near Toledo, a uh, little town called Waterville. It was on the river. And so many of those years I got to build forts and like that was like you get like being in a house in the basement or whatever like it wasn't I just didn't enjoy it as much as being down the river finding stuff and like you know that's also the time you gotta remember where Rambo was big and first, oh you know, yeah and so Predator uh, Red and... Dawn Red Dawn oh yeah afraid, yeah you know, yeah just come out I love that movie we built a uh, zip line I built a zip line in the back of, down by the river and we went the, the kids all figured out we got cable we got the pulleys we built the ladder up the side oh, of the you street. did an actual zip line we not zip like line. the coat hanger and the string thing we like built the, the zip line with cable <laughs> yeah. and like we took someone's thing from their swing set and we wrapped it in you know so anyways we got, wow. the, we got this rubber coat we got this coated cable right and so we're all, I'm like the third one to go because we're all, everybody's doing it and so by the time I go the cable has now bunched where it's like the, the plastic coating has been ripped and it's it's bunched up. And so I jump out of this tree. I'm easily 35 feet in the air. For, I'm, I'm pretty high up. And I get out about 10 feet from the tree and it I just stop. It flings you. And I'm sitting there. And I'm, so I'm, I'm just dangling on this thing. And, and this, all my friends are panicking. Like everyone's just panicking. And so they run... And my, I can see my stepdad. He's easily almost length of a football field, well, short of a football field, just short. I can see him mowing the grass. You're just dangling in the air? <laughs> I'm just dangling. Oh, my God. And so he comes <laughs> running down to the shoreline, right, or to, the, to, the, to the, the riverbank. And I'm just dangling over, like, there's rocks. And, and uh, I remember he's like, you just got to let go. And I was like, I'm not letting go. And then, uh, I don't know, about three seconds goes by, and I just remember him saying, he goes, Rambo would do it, and I remember just I yelled because you know, I was I'm mixing up Rambo and Red Dawn at the same time in my mind. I'm like, just yell Wolverine, and I just let go of the you know, and then everybody broke my fall and it was fine. But like that's those are the times where I just remember like there were you know being at the riverbed and this like, forts like that was a time where I was you could I couldn't catch poison ivy you know nowadays if I touch that stuff it, oh yeah <laughs> it's, 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 my body's just different these days with it but. I would say that's the camping early on with my dad, the riverbank being on that with friends. And so it's just really something that just, and up until recently, I would say I've always been passionate about it, but like recently I just told myself like, we're going on these journeys. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, my gym partner, uh, Clay, we went to Appalachian Trail. We did a section of it out of Asheville. It was miserable. I was just like, why do we go up to go down to go up to go down? It's like, it was, I was so angry. You know, it kicked my ass. It was very humbling. And so we came back. I, I started working on stuff. I go, I'm going on another hiking trip. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't really want to go on another trip. And so I was like, all right, what's the best solo hikes in the United States? 
came across this place called Isle Royale, which is in, it's an island in the middle of Lake Superior on the border of Canada. And the only way to get there is four-hour ferry ride, or you can take a seaplane. You can take a seaplane from the Minnesota side or the Houghton, Michigan side. And so you can only take 40 pounds on the plane. So you got, you got that, that was the other thing. The Appalachian Trail, I found myself, my pack was so heavy. I had like 60-some pound pack. Yeah. And so the, the lady who was ferrying, ferrying us, she's like, what do you have in here? And so they say you pack what you fear. She pulled out, I had like, 15 pounds of trail mix. I mean, like, it was all food. Like, I was so afraid of not having food that my pack was so heavy. So by the time I got to IRL, I had to figure out, I've got to streamline, really got to make sure, because I'm going to have to land, basically drop you off at one end of the island, which is inhabited, and then you walk across to the other end of the island, which for 40 miles, where there's a... Uh, there's a lodge, and that's where all the scouts are. That's where all the older people go. Like So people come in on the ferries and hang out for the weekend there where I was getting dropped off of the dock at the other end of the island, and I had to hike through. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hands down. 40 miles? The best, best time of my life. Like, I had four days, almost four days where I hung out there where I didn't see another human being. Not just be out in the middle of nowhere with no cell service. I'm talking about not seeing another person or speaking to another person for four days. It got to the point by day two, I was talking to my water bottle and my backpack. I had named them, and I was, you know, like, well, come on, Jimmy, get on. Let's, you know, I was like, I was already in that phase. But the thing that was I liked about Wild Royale is there was no bear. No bear ever made it to the island. So it's all moose and wolves. And I was like, I can kick a pack of wolves' ass. Like, I don't, if they come with me, I'm going to get a stick. I, I, know, I, 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 I stay out of the way of the moose, and I know I can take some wolves. Bear, I don't want to mess with the bear. So the hiking in there, I came across, I never saw any wolves. Uh, definitely saw moose. But probably the people said, what was the scariest thing on it? There's these things called loons, which are like a duck. Oh, yeah, duck I know loons. loons. And their call is almost like a maniac laughing. And so coming to in a tent in the middle of the woods we haven't seen anybody for a few days and all you hear is a maniac laughing it was startling like you, you catch yourself and you say oh those are but there's a moment when you wake up where it's just like what where am i you know and yeah so, so that was uh i would say that was a very uh the trip itself and then when i got to when i finally got to the lodge i remember i had had a beer in 10 years and i remember getting a beer a pint of beer and a pizza and just a burger i just it made me, I remember being on my couch two weeks before that, looking at, like, what are we going to eat tonight? Like, I don't feel like cooking. Like, looking at Uber, like, just, like, kind of complaining of this thing where it's like, uh, it's like what I wouldn't give for not eat out of a foil bag for, you know. Sure. So it's like you have to have these moments where you go out and you reset, yeah. you know. And I think that's leading into those things that I'm, I'm just super passionate about, the Masogis. Masogis are just these things I came across in comfort crisis where I'm obsessed with them. And I really want to take people and I want to entertain them and I want them to get out of these trips. Me going to Olympus, that was kind of Masogi. My trainer and I planned, we trained, and we went to Mount Olympus, got to walk around Greece, Athens, go to these places with the birthplace of Stoicism and like see things and then climb this hill that, you know, the gods, you know, it was like amazing. Yeah. Amazing time. And so these Masogis, and I'll just give you, you from the Masogis? No, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I want to know. Okay, so there's a Shinto Japanese story where Izanami and Izanagi are the god 
God and goddess of, of they create everything. They create the storms. They create the clouds. They create the earth. Well, when she goes to create fire, she dies. Like when, when she goes to give birth to the god of fire, she dies. He's so torn up about he is he's just distraught. He decides after maybe six months, he's like, I'm gonna go into Yomi, which is hell, and get her. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go get my wife. And so he fights his way in down into hell. And when he gets there, she's already consumed the food. She's 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 a, she's a demon. And so he's like, shit. Uh, and so he's got to get out of there before they before he gets stuck in hell. And so he fights his way, tooth and nail, to get out. And so when he finally gets out the tunnel at the very top, he gets outside and he rolls a boulder in front of the door. And then he looks over and he runs into the frozen, the, like the freezing river with the waterfalls. And he immediately cleanses himself of the ash, the soot, all the, the, the scrapes, everything that he ha- he has this cleansing. And so Masogi is basically, we want you to take an adventure this year where you cleanse yourself of all this comfortable that you mm. do, all these things, like once a year challenge to yourself where there's really only two rules to the Masogi. One is it's got to be something so hard that there's a 50-50 chance you're not going to make it. You're going you're gonna to fail. And then the second part is, the second rule is a good one, is don't die. And so they don't want you to die. They do have a little guideline where this isn't for Instagram. This isn't for, hey, look at me, I'm doing this. It's you want to tell your loved ones and the people around you, you want to have that support system. But for the most part, this is a battle that you're going to take on internally, right? And so I'd really like to start taking people, these people that own businesses or lead lead groups, they're so inundated with stuff on a day-to-day basis. They forget sometimes that in order to be there for your people and to, to be the best version of yourself for your people, you need these moments. So I were out. I didn't know at the time, but that was a Masogi. Like I, me being out there, like it reset me when I came back. And mm. I was like, I still think about sitting in those lakes inside of lakes there where I could sit in freezing cold water to my neck after a long day hike. felt like I was on Mars. <laughs> and I can't. I'll never be able to duplicate that feeling sitting around here locally, you know? So Masogi, I'll tell you one that we're trying to build for this last quarter of the year is I want to take eight guys. I want to take them to learn archery. I want them to learn how to bow hunt. And uh, we do 16 weeks. We, we practice and we set up a little firing lane, like a little, our own little personal lane behind squats hidden in the woods. Only we can use. We teach them how to field dress an animal. We go to some classes on how to field dress an animal. Uh, we do a lot of rucking. We do a lot of mountain tough training where we're teaching them how to use the like, use their body. And So then we take them out and we go to New Mexico, Arizona, southern Texas, and we hunt hog. And we basically, there's a 50-50 chance we can we get good enough to shoot and, and be able to take down a hog. You know, so, And then when we come back, we would have this amazing farmhouse dinner where each person could bring two people with them. And we would talk about the food that we, what we learned while we went out to teach, taught ourselves how to do this hunt and, and bring that back. Because I was just listening to Peter Tia and Michael Easter were on a podcast together and they're talking about our association with meat. I eat a lot of meat, right? That's the association is this piece of red meat on this styrofoam thing. I go to the store and I pick up like, I want to have people experience. This is what it really takes to take down your food. This is mm-hmm. really where you're going to get some type of respect for what, what you know, like I, I feel anyways. And so that's the type of thing I want to take people on. These Masogis also could be Billy over at Pizza Haven 
he owns a place. He's going to take the family to Disney this year. His misogyny is like, I want him to enjoy all four days where it's like, all right, Billy, uh, anybody can walk around Disney for one day. Do you have the legs and the, and the tendons to do the second day and do the third day? You know, like when we went out and hiked Lake or uh, Mount Guadalupe last year, I took the guys before we went to Olympus. We went to Mount Guadalupe Peak, tallest peak in Texas. We all did it. We all made it up. But I guarantee you that next morning, half those guys would not have been able to go get back on the trail again because you are beat up. And so when we went to Olympus, those couple of days of going up to Olympus, the next day we were at Meteor Order. We were at the monasteries walking in these these in the hills. The next day we were at an island watching the throne of Zeus, like being able to day after day after day enjoy my time away from my business, having that mental clarity and the body to do it. That's where I want to get people to, to go through. And so that's where Masogi's like, I'm sure you go on more than one Masogi a year yourself, I'm sure, but... I just got back from Utah. There you go. <laughs> Taviona, Duchesne River area. Yeah. It's like giant mountains. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that that is a moment that people should go through um, at least once in life because it kind of, like you said, when you're alone by yourself and you've got no external stimuli, it's almost a form of a, what a lot of people may know as a vision quest. You know, but you're able to move about and do that. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, yeah. Um, um, how do you say it again? Muskogee. Missogi. Missogi. M I S O G I. Like Missogi. 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 Yeah. I. It sounds exactly like what I love doing, which is just wandering about, especially in new places. I. <clears throat> if you're into wildlife tracking, you'll do this quite a bit. But I never wanted to be like putting my life on the line, you know, but inadvertently we would, I'll give you an example. We were at a uh, Canyon Lake. No, not Canyon Lake. We were at, um, Mathis, uh, three rivers, uh, Mathis. And there was a little area and I was really hell bent on going to see alligator tracks. I was like, I want to see these alligator tracks. And there's this big 50 acre lake. And then there's a whole other part, um, choke Canyon that you can go to. And I was on this, on the, the far Eastern side and I see what I think are gator tracks. And my cousin Dustin's with me and he's like, hey man, wait. He's like, what is that in the water right there? And I told it because everywhere you look at Choke Canyon, it just looks like logs, dead sea branches and various things. And I was like, it's just a log. And he's like, no man. He's like, I don't know about that. Look at the shape. And I was like, ah, it's fine. So we had to cross through this thing where this floating log was. And I see these ducks coming. And he's like, let's just watch the ducks. And I was like, okay. So all of a sudden this log just goes, doop and dips underneath and disappears. And I was like, okay, it's not a lock. <laughs> Thanks for keeping Chris safe while he scours the, the side of this choke canyon area for alligator tracks. Because we were told by the one of the field interpreters that the largest alligator in there, you know, he was 15 feet or so, and he basically controlled that whole 50 area lake. And anything that's going to get near their edge is, he's like, I'd just be careful if I was you. And I was like, okay. So... Yeah, I think uh, animal tracking is a great way to go and just explore wanderously, you know, or wander aimlessly as you search for animal tracks throughout the whatever region you're going to. And I definitely feel like I went days and days and days wandering through Village Creek and um, Big Thicket. I don't know if you've ever been out there. That place will eat you alive. It's the East Texas woods. It's just so big and massive. It's like Davy Crockett National Forest also. That area, it's just... It's just all pine trees, and you can just get turned around in one moment, and you're lost. But I I agree. I think people 
putting themselves in situations where they're not comfortable. Um, the Comfort Crisis book is a great way to explain all that, as we mentioned. But there was that other book where the gentleman gets on the train and rides from what was the name? We read that book together too. I don't remember that. He remember he grabbed his group of four friends and he just rides uh, illegally from the train tracks all the way through like uh, the north, the Midwest. I don't know if you remember that book, but that book shocked me too because of the amount of uncomfortability that I guess this, I, I'm losing train of thought of whether he's like a former science teacher or something, but he just jumps on this train with his four best friends and they illegally hitchhike along the train and he knows that these, I guess, uh, Pacific Union police are like absolutely dastardly, like 10 times worse than any kind of cops you could encounter because there's no real like law jurisdiction. They get to do whatever they want so they can just beat you up and toss you off the train and that's not uh, assault or, or, you know, police battery or whatever. And I thought it was a fascinating book because he just said he's like, I've never felt more alive than by knowing, like, I'm not at the top of the food chain. Yeah. And I think that's what we're all looking for in some aspects, which is, you know, how do you get there safely? Because right. obviously rule number two is don't die. Don't die. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I like that. Misoki, that's a great concept to you know, adhere to and try to strive towards at least maybe once biannually. It helps people. I think biannually, at least annually where you can work towards it. Yeah. I'm saying. So I'm in thinking about what I want to do in other ones. Like we talked about boundary canoeing, boundary waters. Yeah. Yeah. Something where you take people out where they canoe and camp for a week, Uh, teaching people how to scuba. And then at the end of 16 weeks, you take them for a shark dive where it's like, dude, I want to do that. How uncomfortable can you get? I want to do that. Like for me, my wife and I went to Belize and I swam with nurse sharks and I was terrified. Really? Nurse sharks. Oh, they're so sweet. It was amazing. <laughs> but they're I so was, cool. So the next day she's like, you want to go again? I'm like, no. I, I, I <laughs> really? Did, <I> did. No. <laughs> but my point being is I think it's the next step where you actually, yeah, I had a pretty good idea going into the nurse sharks were not going to eat me. But swimming, learning the beauty of sharks while we train and scuba and do all those things it's kind of like it's something that we're going to go to. Like, you know, a, there's a finite moment we're going to get to, but we're still chasing the infinite, like, rush. That is yeah. Coming, so that sticks with you. So I want, maybe we can plan this. I want to go to Hawaii, and in Hawaii, there is this place off the coast. I think it's the main island, the big island. There is a top of a volcano, and you can go scuba dive down into the volcano, and there's sharks all swimming around down inside. The, so Whoa. you're swimming in a volcano with sharks. Now we're talking, right? Yeah. <laughs> How's that? I was in the volcanoes just, for a hot second there. Like when I went to Olympus, I was like, I'm gonna go up to Rome and do Mount Vesuvius, and find out it's just like an afternoon hike. Like it's not, it's not even like a really a hike. They oh, you can't it's not. Start at some base and come up to the top. So, where yeah. can you go where lava just like readily flows? Where I don't think they let you get close to those places, do they? They've kept people out of those. For yeah. Those you ever seen the drone footage of people flying their drones like feet above it and it slowly melts everything and wow. into the. <laughs> wild it's pretty crazy there's a lot that i think people just don't want to go even try like we talked earlier about sleeping under the stars it's just so uncomfortable and i'm just my hat goes off to anybody out there who's taken on these endeavors for themselves to push themselves because i really just want to know what am i capable of 
And I don't mean like in a bad way, but I mean like to what degree is this body, like is my mind, my heart, like my values, like to where can they be tested? Because I think that's the other thing is like, you know, we don't live in like a... uh, I don't know how to say like a Roman empire where young men are taught to like, you need to go to the battlefield and be trained. And like, I think a lot of that might, uh, I don't know, vicariously be through video games today. You know, you can go to challenges and, you know, big tournaments and things like that. It might be something similar, but I, I, I think in the big picture, it's not even a battle between you and something externally. It's really a battle between you and yourself and what you're feeling capable of. So I think like for folks who like you and me, you know, people lay whatever kind of ridicule or mockery or hatred towards us. Like I have no fight in that because I'm like, I don't really have anything to prove to this individual who doesn't think highly of me. You know, if people, I kind of what I'm going with this is like bullying for kids, you know, people who would bully other people. If you've had these experiences that you feel so good about who you are and this foundation that you stand on is so strong because of these experiences of canoeing down a river and, you know, knowing, well, you just give me a knife and a water bottle, I'll be fine. That's a feeling no one can take away from you. Like that's a, a sense of not, I wouldn't say pride, but just, you know, confidence that no one can take away. So I think the more you get yourself out there, folks, and do this kind of stuff, the more we're going to see these things like anxiety and, oh, am I good enough? Or, oh, like, come on, man, I'm just walked 40 miles. We're in in wolf country. You know, that's a, I don't know. I think that they uh, just in, because, yeah, you can't, we can't always be climbing a mountain. But there are little battles every day that I personally put myself through. And so, Getting people to get into those uncomfortable things, ice baths, you know. Okay, well, I don't have a gym that has an ice bath. You, you can take a cold shower. I'm saying, like, every morning when I walk down the stairs at 530 in the morning, my ice plunge awaits me. And I tell myself, I have so many different voices in my head saying, you don't need this. You don't need to do this. There's no reason. But uh, Doc, uh, Andrew Huberman talks about, other people are like, I do five minutes. I do three minutes. It's three walls. I call it the three walls. And so... My first wall is getting over the wall and getting in the plunge. That's the first wall I got to go over. So I tell myself as my mind has got, I got my clever mind trying to tell me like why I shouldn't do it. I got my inner bitch mind saying why we shouldn't do it. I just have to drone them out and say, I'm over the wall. Here we go. And so yeah, I'm in. About a minute and a half in, second wall hits where it's like, this sucks. This is cold. And, this. and so then it'll be three to five minutes after that, the third wall, and that's, that's the wall I get out. So try not to get too much into time. How long do I spend in the ice? But the whole point is getting in the ice water. And there's something you do. I go in face first. Always go down to my knees and go in face first. There's a thing called the dive reflex that our, our, our minds and bodies does. When the face goes in cold water like that, that's why you splash when you have an anxiety attack, you splash water on your face. The dive reflex, when your face hits the water, it almost rotates whatever you're Worrying about like it just it immediately is gone. I know it's cold water is is is, is helping with that, but immediately my clarity once I dive reflex in and then flip on my back and sit there. Morning sunlight and like that is how you start your day. So what I'm getting back to is the uncomfortable part of one getting up in the morning. That's another battle we do every day. Like you hit the snooze button. <laughs> like that's that's you know there's so many comfort things that we find ourselves in that. Yes, we can't climb the mountain every day, but you can go over these walls every day that one is just making yourself a little bit uncomfortable, sitting in a sauna at 200 degrees. Like, there are things that help your body. And I, I will tell you that in the last year, feeling a difference in those things, 
it when there's something that comes across my desk that's a pain in the ass, I atta- I just atta- I mean, there's, there's, I take the emotion, I just attack it. Or it's yeah. Just like, rather than yeah, you just, just get it, it done. And I'm telling you, those types of what you do on a day to day basis dictates those things. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Because my cortisol two years ago was out of control. The doctor's like, "What is going on with you?" I stopped watching the news. I got off of social media, and I started going to float tanks where I float in salt water. You know. Oh, dude, I love those. And I came back three months later. He's like, "What did you do?" And I said, "I stopped watching the news." Purge social media, <laughs> and so because it's hard when you own a business, and social media is such a big part of the world. These yeah, days. I despise it. I cringe at it. I hate it. I know my businesses have to have it, so I, I have people who handle that part. Yeah, me because too. Because I feel like it's such a, I'm on top of this thing, look at me, and like you're sitting home being like, wow, I'm not doing that. I guess I suck. Or it's, there are levels where people can keep in contact with their families. And like there is, there's always good and bad. There's there's never, you know, one little bit of this will make poison. You know, it's, my point being is that it's just, it's not for me. I just, I just, social media is something I just have a hard time digesting because that dopamine you get from the death scroll is just something, mm. you know? And so that level, working in dopamine is just so anti, even my businesses. I do not, I try to run the business, uh, Simon Sinek talks about the four chemicals in the brain, dose, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, right? And so endorphins is like when we were Neanderthals, like, apple on the hill we have to runners high we got to go get that apple if we want to eat that's a very selfish chemical dopamine when you gamble when you drink you know those feelings mm-hmm. dopamine when someone likes your page when you're scrolling through your your uh, the feeds and you see these reels where it's like oh you're dopamine dopamine news dopamine i think it's like associated with power and status right yeah, i think that's dopamine selfish selfish drug now yeah. we roll over to serotonin so when your kids graduate when they go across the thing to get their little diploma, it's like, you're getting serotonin. They're getting serotonin, and you're getting serotonin. Mom and dad who paid for the kids to be here and helped them get here, drove them to here every day, they're getting serotonin. And so that feeling, like if you and I were sitting on the Buzzmo patio and someone walked up and said, dude, Buzzmo's so cool. I love what you built. I wouldn't stop and say, actually, I'm the guy who pays the rent and does the thing. I'd be like, isn't he great? Like, like So when you can have your business operate, getting away from – all right, guys, we have a sales contest. Dope me, dope me, dope me. You know, like compared to serotonin where we give, we help each other and we give each other the credit, it just changes the dynamic. And oxytocin is brotherly love. I, I'm telling you something. I trust you. So those chemicals in the brain, when people operate in social media and they're living, in, they're, they're drowning in dopamine when we should be swimming in serotonin. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's so clear to me. And when you have kids that came out of this through covid through missed years of high school, the phone. I mean, I told my dad, he did 25 years in the federal penitentiary. We went to the airport to see his sister. Six months after he got, we got to go on, go on a trip. He, that was before cell phones. Uh, I said, when we go to the airport, I want you to look at something. Just look around. Mm-hmm. Watch how many people, oh, yeah. every single person will be looking. Back in the day, it used to be like, they read a newspaper. They would be, every single person has got their phone out. Yep. Every person in line at the bank, every, like, People can't stop and be stuck in their thoughts for more than 30 seconds on the shitter. It's like, I gotta, I gotta see what's going on. It's like, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And I really don't know how we, without getting people outside, you take their phones away and you're, they're hiking or you take the kids out on a canoe trip. Like 
I don't know how else we get them off their phones. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know either. I mean, even at school, we tell the kids you can't bring your phones, and they they still have them. Sometimes it's kind of unfortunate. I um, I I can't help but talk about that same feeling of um, what it looks like to even when I'm driving, dude. I'll be driving down the road and there's like 10 people around me on their phones. I'm like, why are you doing this? So yeah, I don't understand either. And it really frustrates me because, uh, but the air- airport's a great example of where people are just hooked on those things. DMVs. Airport, airport is such and, a dyna- social dynamic too, because yeah, people from all, all of the world, all walks of life yeah. come to the airport. Everyone's, some people are anxiety. Like it's just, yeah, it's people at their worst. I mean, like I was, just, well, I think the phone's helping create that anxiety. We were just you know? on a trip recently and like two weeks ago and I was looking around the airport like people like not, it's just when you see people on the plane, how they act, it's like, it's just, it's mind boggling to me, man. Yeah. So. It's really a, a strange phenomenon and I think that's the only way to do it is to take away the signal, you know, the, <laughs> of, of having the, the internet around. <clears throat> but I think even, even still, like I think I've, I've heard my students tell me like, well, I got really, really excited on Thursday night because I knew Saturday we were packing up and I was going to get to go home and like, you know, do something <laughs> that I want with the TV or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Which is so you can start to see how the right. dopamine hits get back and forth, right? Yeah. Through, you know, oh, well, I'm excited for this trip. I know I'm going to disconnect. Dude, you got to tell me like there was the same guy at the conference I saw, Conscious Capitalism Conference, that talked about the 70% of people don't spend the night. At yeah. He also talked about his whole group. They took teens out on whitewater trips, and so once you get a kid to go through five rat, five oh yeah, five rat, like he goes, the very first thing they do when they all get there is they take their phones away. He goes, you wouldn't believe. Halfway through the day, they're talking to each other. They're like, you know, so you have to. There's a level, I'm sure, when you get your kids together, that yeah, we have to you see that because otherwise the kids just going to check out. But right, I just think that's when you can get a tree a retreats or these group, people go places and you can take away phones like that. Like, man, like what a special time. It is. I mean, I, I got a phone, I think when I was like 16 and it was like one of those little candy bar phones, those Nokia's, but all we could do on it was call right. and some texting, but texting wasn't really like that big. You just call maybe my parents and just various friends. But once it turned into like what it is now, where it's just this super insane computer, you got chat GPT and just all the, any literal answer that you want in the world at your fingertips. It's kind of interesting, but yet all that information in the world can't tell them, Hey, you need to put this thing down. No, <laughs> it does, it, it's, it's, it's programmed not to tell. It's, right. You know, Isn't that the irony? Want them to do it. it doesn't want you know, them to do that. You know, the two things on the phone where I always think was one is that Ben Franklin, all the access he had to the knowledge and those things like we have it, it the microchip on our, like our phones have more yeah. information than he was ever ever able to get to correct you know it's like and what are we doing with it you know it's like it's tiktok exactly <laughs> stupid videos <laughs> yeah i I, fr- I get frustrated with the social media stuff when the kids bring it up so we just always say um media reference you know they always just yell media reference and then the kids are like oh yeah we forgot we're not supposed to bring up media so it's kind of our little thing at nature that we do because they want to talk about it. And honestly, like, there's something about kid culture, in my opinion, that I, as, as an educator, I need to be able to connect to them with something. 
right? So even if that might be like a TV show or something that they're privy to, like I'll give you a great example is Minecraft. You know, Minecraft is like a huge thing within the kid culture. And I always ask them, I'm like, do you know, do you like playing that game? And they're like, heck yeah, I'd play Minecraft all day. I'm like, but what, what if you had the opportunity to like smash things with a hammer and build forts and houses and all that like now, like, like in the game? And they're like, oh, Okay, yeah, like, okay, I'm interested in that. So I'm like, well, that's what we're going to do here at camp. So we've had kids who just would not get out of their seats, like their car seats at camp, and I just tell them that. I'm like, well, we're going to do Minecraft-type stuff. We're going to get to carve, build forts and fires and shoot bows and arrows, and they're just like, what? So I think you've got to get them to understand, like, the benefits of the the transition from the video game experience, which is, oh, I get to do these things, but it's like, but you're getting to do these things again, like, in just a different way. And a lot of kids, that's the nice bridge for them. So for people who are, you know, hiking or whatever, that's a great transition into like these further long backpacking trips and canoe trips and all that. So start small, like Jason was saying, is go out to your local park and just do a couple loops, walk your neighborhood at night, and then uh, check out the Lumber Society because we've got a lot of cool stuff going on. But um, how do we find out info about Squatch Fitness and all that? Where, where can we find out? Buzzmill Coffee's website and Squatch website, Squatch Fitness, Squatch Fitness's website, Instagram. Uh, they have beacons. Like I think there's a lot of things on uh, beacons where you can go in and once you, if you go to the Buzzmill, if you go strictly to the Buzzmill website, yeah, BuzzmillCoffee.com. You can take the quiz, find out what troop you are in, in the Lumber Society. Sign up for classes if you want to try a class. You can see our comedy event. Like you can see what the events are. You can see the menu. See what food we have there. And at the bottom, you can still tap into Squatch, and it'll take you over to Squatch's stuff. There you go. Lumber Society or Natureversity is on there as well. Is is is, is uh, and uh, Lumber Society. So yeah. All those things are involved very simply by going to that. You know. And then if anybody ever wants to see the gym for free, it's like we have a uh, last Saturday of every month we do a community workout where. Anybody's into that stuff. And then if you go to the Buzzmill page, we do rucking events every other weekend. I take people either, like I said, Hill Alive, Turkey Creek. We'll just we'll, we'll find a place locally so I can show you a trail so you can be like, I didn't even know this existed. A lot of people move to town. They don't know where stuff is. And so my goal is to take rucking where maybe the first Saturday of the month is singles, where it's like imagine two by two people are walking down the trail. And then every 10 minutes I'm like, switch. And then so they have to, it's almost like speed dating, you know, and then. Uh, the next week we get Oracle or Dell. We get their people out. Then you grab the condos, uh, Metropolis. We ask them to come over and be like, hey, give us, you know, and then we still have our open rucks, but rucking is just, people just pair up and start talking. It's just so amazing to watch happen. And so like, that's very passionate about, because that's a very simple, oh, we're just going to walk around the lake, this, you know, carrying a little bit of weight. It's it's just, the, it's the gateway. And then we're like, you want more of this? We can give you more. Yeah. So Tillery Street, um, Squatch Fitness, Buzzmill Coffee on Riverside. And uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. Um, we, I definitely want to know more about your future endeavors as far as the um, rucking goes and these um, Masugis. That's it, Masugis. I want to know more about opportunities that these folks can have to join y'all because we've got canoes, we've got vans, we've got all kinds of stuff coming up for y'all soon. So check it out, buzzmillcoffee.com and Squatch Fitness. Thanks once again, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Y'all take care. We'll see you in the next episode.